Thank you for joining us today on the Annex Podcast, hosted and presented by the Building Christian Fellowship. At the building, we build our faith, hope, and love in Jesus by having a real, relevant relationship with Him. And what better way for us to get closer to God than to learn more about Him through His Word? We pray you enjoy this message. We can teach our children to play football. We can teach our children to do to be a CEO of some company or whatever. And you know all those things will fail you if they don't have identity in the Lord. So instead of focusing so much on telling our children who, what they should do, let's instill in them identity. I used to say to Judah when he was little, do you know who you are? He was like, my name is Judah, son of John butcher. I am a man of God. He used to do it all the time when he was little. When he got older, it kind of like fell out the window, but I was super, I was super like uh, passionate about, do you know who you are? You are a man of God. You are son of John Butcher Sr. Do you know greatness is in your loins? Don't you know? So it don't work unless you say it with a Scottish accent. Don't you know? Greatness is in your loins. You are son of John Butcher. Man of God, leader of nations, don't you know? Y'all got y'all to gotta get up on that. Little by little, we give our children independence. And we give it to them a little at a time because they can't handle it all at once. So little by little, we give them the independence. We see that they're good stewards of that independence, and we give them more. And then comes this season called the teenagerisms. Raquel talked about it on Tuesday night at Bible study. The teenagerisms come in, and it's like a whole nother beast. Because it's like, it's like, I don't want a little bit of independence. I want the whole thing. I want my birthright now. I want the job now. I want the car now. I want to go to the mall by myself now. I want to go to the movie by myself now, now, now. I'm a man now. <laughs> it's like a little at a time here, a little at a time. Patience is the very important ingredient in order, in order to learn and grow and become who we're supposed to be. Teenagerisms do all that kind of stuff. Do you know that even Mary, the mother of Jesus, dealt with a little bit of teenagerisms from Jesus? I know y'all don't believe me because we know Jesus was perfect. Jesus had a little teenagerisms going on. Let me show you. Luke chapter 2, we're going to read verses 41 through 52. It says, his parents, Jesus' parents, went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, that's about when it starts. Yeah, can I get a witness? Yep. Judah is 12. All right. They went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy, Jesus, because he was a boy, lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and their acquaintances. Basically like, have you seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? Is Jesus with you? Is Jesus in your car? Is he, is he with your camel? Check the water sack. Is Jesus in there? <laughs> so when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now so it was that after three days, can somebody say three days? I just need to make sure y'all caught that part. Three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, the parents, they were amazed, probably the dad, 
uh, but not his mom. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Okay. Uh, I'm not sure if Mother Mary had a little bit of blackerisms, but I know that if my son was missing for three days, okay, not an hour, not three hours, but three days, when he answered me with, why are you looking for me? Okay, so I'm not sure if Mary was like, Right, right. He says, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them, which means Mary was going like this. <laughs> then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them and was subject to them and was like subject to them. And his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now, the, the scripture says that when they saw him talking to the scribes and the Pharisees, he was keeping up with them. He was like, uh-huh, so don't, don't, what, doesn't Isaiah say this? What, doesn't the prophet say this? Well, if you look at this, don't you think? The family walked in and was probably watching for a little while, listening to the dialogue, going back and forth with these priests who's been trained all their life, who knows the word back and forward. And look, here's the boy, 12 years old, keeping up with them, keep putting them on their toes, got them scratching their head. And the dad, Joseph, was probably like, woo, look at my boy. <laughs> woo, look at him. They got him, Mary. He got him. They don't even know. They stuck. And Mary's like, um, excuse me. She probably broke up the whole thing. And they was probably like deep in conversation at this part. And Mary don't care because she's been looking for him for how long? How long? Oh, three days. She is done. She was done two days ago. Three days. She broke up the whole thing and was like, Jesus, why did you do this to us? And I believe it was like, mom, mom, like the way Judah does me when I come to school. And I'd be like, hey, Judah. He was probably looking like, mom. And she's like, uh-uh, don't you know we've been looking for you for three days? Why would you do this to your dad and I? And it's interesting because when he answered her, I heard the teenagerisms in his voice. It was off of me. And it's almost as if he answered her with not where he was or where he'd been, but who he was. Don't you know I have to be about my father, my father's business? That's identity. Did you forget who my father was? And the way he answered it, it was almost as if there had been some family conversations sat around the table that Jesus and Joseph probably made. They were probably sitting around the table many nights, dinner, preparing and talking about this. And she probably said some of the things to Jesus, like I used to say to Judah, do you know who you are? And he would answer with, yes, I am that I am. <laughs> and all of those things were drills. She thought the drills were for Jesus, but the drills were for her. Because even though she prepared him in the way that he should go, she made sure he was fed. She made sure he was uh, subject to the father and to their family and all that. He, she did everything that she was supposed to do to pour into him. But I think, just like me, when I dropped my kids off at kindergarten, she forgot to do the things that she needed to do to be able to let go of him when it was time. 
It was almost as if when you see your son dance on the dance floor of his wedding with his bride, and you think, dude, this thing is real. Or maybe when you see your baby girl walk down the aisle and meet her husband, you're like, this is, this is really happening. The scripture says that Mary kept all these things in her heart, which makes so much sense because, you know, men, they deal with what they can see. Yeah, this is the fact. This is what happened. He was missing for three days. Okay, we're going to tell him about that. Oh, it's okay. It's okay, Mary. I'm going to talk to him when we get home. But she's looking at everything going on behind the scenes like, oh, wait. Oh, he's, oh, he's, he's about ready to go. It says she kept it in her heart like a holy moment. Jesus was dealing with the embrace of his purpose, but the nagging tugs of the world. It's a dichotomy. It's like a, it's like a, I know who I am, but it's not time yet. But I feel, I feel the tug. I feel the need. I'm ready for takeoff at any time. But you're stuck on the, on the, what is it called, Tony, when you're, the plane doesn't take off, you're on the tarp or something, you're on the tarmac, and you're, you're there, and you haven't been released for takeoff yet, and you're just waiting. And Jesus was dealing with it. And he was like, okay, I'm going to go back and be with you guys but I'm ready for takeoff. Jesus was actually had a choice that was present with him to be normal or to pursue his calling. He actually had a choice to be normal. And you know what? Mother Mary, Mary of, of Jesus, she would have embraced that. Any mom would have. Yes, Jesus. Son, stay with me as long as you want, as long as you can. Yes, here, there's safety here. We've built a life here. But nothing can cling to you or block you from the mission and the will of God like the, um, when the anointing of God has already tightened its grip on you. Let's read Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. To preach good tidings to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Do you know that is all of our calls? When we accept the anointing of the Lord on our life, the anointing comes with a purpose. If you read the Old Testament, the God was very specific on the ingredients to be placed, the ingredients to be placed in the anointing oil. And one of the instructions he said is, once you have this oil, do not use it for perfume. Don't use it for your own pleasure. Why? Because it's attractive. It smelled good. And the Lord knew that the anointing creates a draw. Like literally, like you put it on and people come to you like bees to honey. Why? Because it's the anointing. That's what it's designed to do. But what happens when, you, when the anointing is placed on you and people are attracted to you like bees to honey, but yet you don't have a message about the Lord? Instead, you have a message about what you got and what you want to do and what you want the people to do for you. Mm, sounds like using the anointing as perfume for your own pleasure to make you smell good, to make you look good. Do you know the gifts of God come without repentance? which basically means he's not going to snatch it off of you. But the anointing comes with a price and with a purpose. Do you know that belongs to all of us? Here's a quote. 
When God has marked you, the world can't stop you. When God has marked you, the world can't stop you. All the parts of the world are not bad. Don't get me wrong. There's lots of things in, the, in this part, in this world that is good. But do you know everything that we experience in the world is for a season? But if we don't realize the season or we don't realize the changing of the season, then we fail. Being a child, we're a child for a season. How do I know? The Bible tells us to put away childish things. We, have, uh, we, we cling and we learn and we learn from and we listen to our parents for a season. How do I know? The Bible tells us to leave and cleave. We're students for a season. How do I know? And James tells us, uh, I mean, um, we're students for a season because the Bible tells us to put away the milk of the word and begin to discern and cut the meat of the word. We're spectators for a season because in James it says faith without works is dead, which means you got it, now do something with it. We are to be who we are for a season. And if we allow seasons to expire, not only does it make us sick, but it doesn't allow the people around us to be nourished. Who in here drinks spoiled milk besides Papa? Nobody. <laughs> Who in here eats cheese with mold on it besides Papa? Nobody. Who in here would slice up a soft, soggy tomato and cut around the soft, soggy parts and eat the little bit of hard part you might find? Nobody except for Papa. The thing is that when something has passed, is past due, that means you need to be okay with letting it go. Amen? But some of us is like, no, no, no. This is the tomato. This is my tomato. I've always had this tomato. This, this, there is some good still left in this tomato. That's even some of us with some of our friendships. That's us with some of the things, the things that we're doing that we've always been doing. It's even with the way we parent our kids. I've always talked to them like this. I've always told, oh, if you don't do this, you don't love me. Oh, if you don't, if you don't say this or if you don't be there for me or do that, do that, you don't love me. I've always parented this way. Just caught a cut away the soft part and find one good little piece to still use. It's expired. Move on. There's seasons in our life, and if we don't learn the art form of letting it go, then we have failed. We must be responsible for not only readying our children, readying our ministries, readying our jobs, readying our family for our departure and their departure. If we don't, we have failed. Somebody say, let it go. And this isn't just for parent, parenting. This is for everything. So I need you guys to see and insert your, your life and your stories into, into this text because the thing is that this is everything that pertains to us. We've been asked to be stewards of everything that we've received. People say all the time, Pastor John, Pastor Kaya, I don't know what the Lord wants me to do. I just need you to pray. I need you to, I need you to, I need you to help me figure out what I'm supposed to do. And so Pastor John and I are looking at each other like, oh, oh, okay, okay, we're supposed to, okay, hold on, Jesus, what are they supposed to do? Okay, go to AMPM, ask for a guy named Fred, he's going to give you a job. <laughs> Put on his shoes, turn around three times, <laughs> do the Roger Rabbit. I mean, the thing is, what you're supposed to do is what, this said, what the, the scripture said in Isaiah, to preach the good tidings, to heal the sick. 
to set at liberty them that are in captive, to, to, to comfort them that are bruised. Well, Pastor John, Pastor Kaya, I don't know who I'm supposed to marry. Pick somebody. And then preach the word of God, heal the brokenhearted, and proclaim the liberty. Well, Pastor John and Pastor Kaya, I don't know what job exactly that God wants me to have. Pick one and then preach the word of God, heal the brokenhearted, and proclaim the liberty. Well, Pastor John, Pastor Kaya, the doctor says I got this disease and this sickness. Pray. And then preach the word of God, heal the brokenhearted, proclaim the liberty to them that are in captivity. Amen. Your assignment doesn't change because your situation or your season changed. I'm back to identity again. When you have an identity and you are a daughter and a son of the Lord of the all-time, all-powerful, all-living, all-impotent, all-amazing, powerful God, your season may change, but your call is the same. I am the preach the gospel to proclaim liberty to them are in captivity and to heal and to heal the sick. Amen. You must learn the art form of letting go. First John 2, 15 through 17, it says this. Do not love the wor world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the, lo the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of flesh, the lust of eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever, which means Whoever you come in covenant with, you belong to. I'm in covenant with the Lord. My anchor has been set in the things of the, of, of the Lord, not the world. Which means if you have put your anchor down and you've committed to your children, you've committed to your ministry, you've committed to your family, you've committed to this. Which means your anchor is placed in them, so wherever the wind's blowing them, whenever they're fading away, whenever they're dying, guess where you're going? You're going right along with them. But if your identity is anchored in the Lord, which means you'll be okay with, oh, let it go. We moving. I saw the cloud. We moving. There goes the pillar of fire. We moving. For me, this is a one life stand. You know, some people be like, one, one night stand. No, this is a one life stand for me. This earth better enjoy me while they have me. It's almost like what Paul said. Paul said, it is, it is better for me that I go, but it's better for you that I stay. This is a one life stand. My destiny, my purpose, my treasure, my inheritance, it is in heaven. It is not in the business that I am building. It is not in this ministry because this is God's church. This is God's house. Nothing of this belongs to me. My treasures are in heaven. So this is a one life stand. You better take it while you got it because if the, the cloud starts moving or the pillar of fire starts moving, guess what? As I close, the thing is that this world will look for you and ask you where you've been as if you were dedicated to it. And a lot of times you might have to look at this world and say, why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I'll be about my father's business? And if the world doesn't know that you'd be about your father's business, then you know that there is a problem. Then that means that you've allowed the world to cling to you for so long and way too tight that the world actually thinks that you belong to it. So sometimes you might have to adjust your posture so that you know and that the world knows, don't look for me. I'm about my father's business. That it's not about the world that I belong to. It's 
the Lord that I belong to. Why? Because the Lord has prepared me in the way that I should go. And guess what? It ain't here. My treasures are in heaven. Amen? I want to share with you this last thing. Okay, no, two last things. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. It says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let's run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking onto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, for who the joy was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The art of letting go is doing what this scripture is telling us to do. Lay aside the weight of what people think about you, of the labels that this world has tried to place on you. That's a weight. That's going to weigh you down. Laying aside the sin of unforgiveness unforgiveness and bitterness and pride. Why? Because it's going to weigh you down. It's going to slow you down from being able to follow after the things of God. And then after you lay aside those things, then you're able to run, not walk, run with endurance, which means without stopping without constantly turning around, turning back, being bitter, looking back at what you left, what they say, what they think, what they gonna think of me if I start talking about Jesus? What are they gonna think about me if I don't go to this and I go to church instead? What are they gonna think if I say I forgive him or I'm not bitter or I don't wanna talk bad about that person anymore because I've already moved on and I've forgiven them? It's letting it go. You know why forgiveness is a sin? Because that means it's like, a, it's like a, 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 a rerun. It's like Groundhog's Day. It happens in your mind over and over and over again. And then you attach your emotions to it. Now you're crying again. Now you're saying, I can't believe they did that to me. Can you believe they did that to me? Can, did I tell you about that one time that person hurt me? Yes, you told me. Well, let me tell you again. It was 20 years ago. They hurt me. They hurt me real bad. And he said and she said. And what happened is Jesus is, he's moving. And you're back here replaying reruns. And you're talking about it over and over and you're still there. So God's saying lay it aside so that you can run with endurance without stopping to backtrack of what they did to you and how they hurt you and how they scarred you. And this is why I got to walk with a limp because he kicked me. No, run with endurance because you've let it go. You've said, I've forgiven you, not for you, but for me so that I can be free to run. I don't have to carry the weight of it anymore. I don't have to carry the weight of the expense of the the fence anymore. I'm traveling light. Why? Because it's a one life stand. I will not play the reruns in my my mind. I'm moving on with Jesus. Knowing the art of letting it go. That season has passed. I will not drink the spoiled milk. I will not eat the moldy cheese. Papa. John chapter 19, verses 25 through 30. I'm going to end with this. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother. And his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus, therefore, saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his, mo- woman, to, said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his home. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. This is a picture of Jesus on the cross. 
And the, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's what John called himself. So Jesus looked and he saw his mother Mary. And then he looked over and he saw the disciple John. And it's interesting because Jesus looked at his mother who before it was mother, mom, whatever. But at this point, when she's seeing that he's, she's looking at him and she's watching her son be beat through from inches of his life. They tore his clothes off. He's up there. He's exposed. He's bleeding everywhere. He's, 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 he's gasping for air. He's holding on by a thread. And can you imagine a mother, a mother seeing her child on the cross like that, beating her baby from inches of his life. And she's, he's looking at her and he catches eyes with her and he already discerns what she's feeling and the torment that she's going through. She might as well have been on that cross. They might have well been beating her. They might as well stripped her clothes off because everything that he felt, she felt it. As a mom, you can't help it but allow your emotions to go wherever your baby is because it just happens that way. But Jesus looked at her and discerning that, he looked at her and he didn't call her mom. He called her woman. Woman, your son. Son, that's your mother. Why? Because he knew that he was ready for where he was going, but he knew I'm going to help her be able to let go. So it wasn't mother, it was woman. Why? Because the transformation had already it had already been made. The season of me being your son is over. I now stand on this cross as Lord of all. I, the great I am, Emmanuel, the Lord with us. Woman, your son. I'm going to help you for when I'm gone that you will be able to still move on. I'm going to help you that when you leave that kindergarten class and you're weeping because you're longing for me, I'm going to help you make that transition. There you go. There's your son. And that tells me, the Bible all goes on to say that Mary lived with John, uh, with John for like a year. I can't remember. It says how many years he, 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 she lived with him. So that tells me that she was a widow. He took her in. John took Mary in as his mother. So that tells me he, he knew, I want her to be okay when I'm gone. And why did that happen? Because Mary did her job to prepare him for where he was supposed to go. She spoke into that season identity so that identity, that season of identity can speak back to her and be able to comfort her when it was time to let go. Why? Her children rised and called her blessed. Why? Because of the sacrifices that she made in the season that she was supposed to make it. Her children was able to stand up and say, Mom, everything you imparted in me, everything you taught me, every sacrifice you made for me, I'm going to stand and I'm going to call you blessed. Because the, she was able, she, was, she did what she was supposed to do in the season she was supposed to do it. And Jesus knew. I know my mom's not going to let go that easy. So woman, here I am, your savior. And there you go. Love him not like your son. John, comfort her. Keep her. Take care of her. And then what did he say? It's finished. I love the fact that he tended to his family right before he declared finished everything is in line everything is in its place everything that needed to be is now done and now I've been prepared and I'm ready to go where I'm supposed to go 
So now I say to you, it's your turn. Learn the art of letting go so that when the season has passed, you can look at it and say, it doesn't speak identity to me. I was a mother for a time. I was in charge for a time. But now it's time for me to let it go because the cloud is moving. The fire, the flame of fire is moving, and I'm traveling light. Amen? Stand to your feet. God is good. God is so good. I gave you guys my hand-me-downs this morning. The Lord spoke this word to me, and he encouraged me. He says, if it can't survive without you, you have failed. If your children can't go on and be successful and be mighty in who they are in me, sons and daughters of the Most High God, then you have failed. If it needs you to survive, you have failed. We, we prepare for where it's supposed to go. And then we know how to let it go. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this word this morning, God. I thank you, Lord, that the seed of your word will be planted deep, deep, deep in our hearts. God, I thank you, Lord, that by your spirit, you will, begin, you will continue to minister this word to us, God. Allow it to fit into our situation so that we can practically see, God, not to just be a hearer of your word this morning, but to be doers this morning. God, I thank you, Lord God, for every mother, Lord God. I thank you, Father, for um, uh, just being able to teach us and equip us and strengthen us, Lord God, to prepare our children, Lord God, and our children's children for the places that they shall go, that they shall be what you said that they shall be, that they shall go the places that you said that they shall go and they shall do the things that you said that they shall do in their life. God, we know that your calling for them is so much greater than the calling that we have for them. So God, we say do your most holy work in them and in us. God, we thank you for everything that you place in our life to steward over, to govern God, to prepare, to uh, nurture, to pour into, to equip God. And I thank you, Lord God, that it's you that's doing the work and not us. So I thank you, Lord, that we will not take ownership of the things that you are doing. Strengthen us and help us, God. Thank you for this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Give God some praise. That's all the time we have for this episode of the Annex Podcast. But we encourage you to get connected with us by downloading and using our TBCF app today. Or you can visit our website at tbcf.life. That's tbcf.life. Until next time, thanks for stopping by to the Annex Podcast.